Hello, this is Joel McRae, and I want to thank you so much for stopping by my channel. I've been encouraged by some friends to take some time to share my story, a little bit about my background, my journey of knowing my identity, passion, and purpose at a very young age, and ultimately losing that identity and passion and having to rediscover it. I don't know if you found yourself journeying through life, feeling empty, unfulfilled, without direction, or if you find yourself in a position where you know what you want to do, but you feel trapped, you feel stuck, you feel like there are no open doors or opportunities to pursue that passion. I can relate to a lot of those things, and so I thought I would take the time to just uh, create a channel and start just taking that journey, sharing that journey, hearing your journey, hearing your questions, or hearing a little bit about your story. Hopefully we can grow together, discover more about life purpose together. So again, thank you so much for stopping by throughout this series. We're just going to take a number of different experiences and kind of share those things. And feel free to send me an email at McCray at gmail.com or you can contact me on my website so I'm looking forward to learning more about you sharing a little bit more about myself and hopefully when it's all said and done we will maximize our potential and realize and fulfill our life purpose so in this episode I want to talk about identity and refer to a podcast recorded earlier this year 2021 at a conference in January. So without further ado, let's get to it. I started playing the piano at 18 months old and at that age my mother said she was able to hear melodies or recognize melodies. She was the uh, choir director at our church and my father was the pastor and I would just hear melodies, she said, or hear songs at church, and I could come home and play the song as far as with one finger, the melody of that song. Um, about the age of 18 months old is when she started recognizing melodies and also recognizing that I was actually playing the song in the same key that we sang it at church. And she started giving me piano lessons at the age of five, and at the age of five, we started going through your typical process of learning classical uh, music, reading notation, and things like that. And around the age of six, uh, there was a song that my mother had a little trouble hearing and recognizing, and that song was Be Grateful by Walter Hawkins. And she heard me playing the song uh, on the piano, and she was like, wait a minute, are you playing Be Grateful for Church? I said, well, yes, ma'am. And guess what? That Sunday, or around 1976, I was six years old, she had me play my first song for the adult choir. And there I was sitting on the stool with my feet dangling, couldn't reach the floor with my feet. So for those in the 70s, if you remember those cookie boxes that came in, uh, our cookie uh, boxes, they were in cardboard boxes with the tape on it that you had to cut into to open to get to the cookie contents. Um, I had to put my feet on one of those uh, boxes in order to keep my feet from dangling and to have something to rest my feet on. So that was my first experience playing for uh, an adult choir on a Sunday morning for church playing Walter Hawkins' Be Grateful. 
And there the process began, uh, taking lessons, playing for church on Sunday. And of course, if I couldn't play the song or if I didn't have the right style on other songs, I would uh, play the drums. And I started playing the drums for the church shortly thereafter. So we grew up in a very conservative home, uh, Baptist background. So there were just not that many things that we could do as far as musically. Uh, if that song was not singing about God or about the church or about Jesus, uh, absolutely not. That was not happening. So um, in my head, though, there was this struggle because in my head, I'm hearing all of these styles of music that did not match what was going on at church. So I really struggled trying to express myself musically. Um, I remember as I got older and I started playing for different churches, especially for my grandmother. I have so much fun talking about stories with my grandmother because I'm hearing these chords and these harmonies and and things that and I was experimenting with these things. Now I'm getting into my teenage years and and at that time I began to play songs. And so I would get to the church and they would start singing these hymns and I started expressing myself um, the way I'm hearing it in my head. And my grandmother was like, oh, no, baby, that is not how we play Amazing Grace. But that's just the way I heard it. And she would call my mother and say, Ruby Jewel, my mother's name. Please don't let that baby play the, the piano. He doesn't know any of the hymns. I don't know when to start singing, when to stop singing. I don't understand his intros and things like that. So uh, she didn't really like me playing the piano. Uh, I remember when my father was home, I would play all day, all day. And uh, and he would leave to go fishing to get a break from the playing. And he'd come home and and really struggle with the fact like, good grace, this dude is still playing. He's been playing all day. Do you take a break? And so I would just go do something else or something sports related or, of course, homework and things like that. But I love to play whenever I had breaks. I was on the piano or playing around with my sister. She also sang and we would go back and forth and and uh, she would either play the drums and or I'd play the drums and and we'd sing and make music all day. But I'm struggling internally because internally what I'm hearing is not what people wanted. And I'm struggling with identity because what's going on in my head is not what I'm allowed to do with my hands. And of course, there's not a lot of conversation about what does that mean psychologically? What does that mean as far as crushing a spirit? We're not having those conversations because we know how it was back in the 70s. It's like, why are you doing that? Well, you're doing it because I said so. And y'all can imagine my head moving from side to side and snapping my fingers, you know, you know, and it's kind of like you just don't talk back to adults. You don't express uh, yourself in a way and say what I'm, I'm feeling like going another direction. And I don't know if you've struggled, struggled with identity or struggled with purpose or if you've struggled with direction or struggled with being passive because you're trying to be respectful. You're trying to be humble. You're trying to follow authority. Um, those things could really crush a spirit. And I struggled with that because it ultimately got to a point, especially growing up in a conservative uh, religious background, that people liken my sound to something that was not of God. And of course, if you grew up in church, you might have heard the word demonic 
It's like, oh, no, 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 we are not going to have that worldly sound. We're not going to have that demonic music. We're not going to have those things that do not glorify God. And now I am just so not sure because y'all don't y'all have to understand at the McCray house. uh, It was so conservative that we could only watch really two shows. That was Andy Griffith and that was Lil House on the Prairie. That was it. And if a movie came on, we had a two curse word limit. I mean, to tell you, if that if that movie cussed two times, that show had to go off. Matter of fact, I remember a time watching King Kong and King Kong came on and we're like excited. They cussed the first time my sister and I had our fingers crossed because it was getting really good. Lo and behold, someone had to drop a cuss word when it was getting to the climax of the movie, when King Kong was crossing this big river or big uh, river or lake or whatever to get to the girl that he wanted before he climbed the tower and um, and uh, and had to fight till his death. I can rem- I, we didn't get to that part. So you get to school the next day. Well, first of all, someone dropped the, uh, the cuss word. Mama said that show needs to go off. My sister and I were just distraught, torn to pieces. You know, we get to school the next day. And uh, some people like, did y'all see that part? Like, uh, I don't want to hear about it because we didn't make it. What? Yeah, we didn't make it. Someone cussed two times. Yeah, you know, no cards, no, you know, no dominoes or anything like that or gambling or all these different things. So I understood about things we couldn't do. But now I'm reaching a point where the very essence of who I am, the very essence of what's going on on the inside of me that I believe God is giving me is something that is off limits as well. That's where the struggle begins. I get to school and I'm thinking about a career in music and I'm doing really well in school, straight A student. But the counselor's saying, you need to figure out what else you want to do with your life because what you're doing now as far as pursuing music is not a real career path. Try something else. Do something different. That's not, that's not going to make you any money. So now it's like church doesn't want my music. School is telling me that what I'm pursuing is not a real career. Uh, Dad doesn't want to hear the music. My grandmother doesn't want me to play the hymns. But yet this soundtrack is playing in my head. And I'm not exactly sure what to do with my life. But going into my junior year, my mother and father divorces. That's the first time I felt crushed because I was asking my father to stay. And he at that time said, son, I can't do it. That's just uh, I have to move on. Your mother and I are not going to work out. I cried in a fetal position, begged him to stay. And as I was talking to him over the phone and he said he had to go. And at that point, my spirit shut down. I was angry. I was bitter. I was upset with him and the music that played in my head stop playing. And that's really what I kind of want to hone in on right now for a little bit is when what you believe you're designed to do, the imagery, the sounds, the, the designs, the architectural structures, all of these things that have been put inside of you. Because again, it's not so much about you being a musician. It is more so about you living out your dream and, uh, This first point I want to drop here, again, this is not as structured right now. I'm just really speaking and just flowing. So just just kind of understand that the backdrop of everything is identity and actually living out what you believe God has called you to do. But 
this first thing that I began to really struggle with is just how to reconcile what I dream at night, what I'm visioning during the day, how to turn those things into a path of execution, how to turn those things into a path, a path of productivity. I struggle with that because there's no conversation on that. As far as that, if you had dreams, it's probably because you either watch some show or anything like that. It's, it's possibly because you, uh, you're thinking about things that you either do or don't need to be thinking about, but there was really no significance on dreams until I really began to just take a moment and realize that outside of Moses, the majority of what everyone heard throughout the Bible was in their sleep. Solomon got his wisdom in his sleep. Fell asleep and like, God, I'm young. I don't know what to do. And give me the wisdom in order to lead these people. And God said, since you did not ask for wealth or anything material, if you will, I'm going to bless you with wisdom and I'm going to bless you with wealth. You find out that Jacob, when he laid his head on the stone at Bethel, he slept and God began to speak to him about him carrying on what his father dreamt about being the father of many nations and that the seed that would come from him would be more numerous than the sands and more numerous than the stars uh, in the uh, in the air. Dreams. You find out that uh, Pharaoh had dreams. Or had a dream about the um, seven years of plenty and the seven years of drought in the uh, form of uh, plump cows and very uh, skinny and starving cows and plump produce and basically rotting produce. You find out Nebuchadnezzar had a dream where God was speaking to him about the demise of the kingdom. Uh, Joseph had a dream about, uh, Joseph as in the son of Israel, had a dream about him reaching a point where his brothers would bow to him and even his parents. He had those things in the dream. You also saw that Mary and Joseph discovered about what's going to happen with them regarding Jesus and the baby that was on the way in a dream. And I'm like, wait a minute. So if all of these things are happening in a dream, I begin to look through some just Hebrew studies of words and things like that. And just like, man, there's something going on with these dreams. God, why are you giving me these dreams? What do these dreams mean? Is there more to the dream than just an imagery of me going to sleep and seeing something? So I spent some time trying to understand dreams. And one thing I discovered that the Hebrew word for dream, kalam, is the same word as the, as the word, uh, our English word, strength or health, to be healthy and strong, is also to be able to dream. Now, this platform is not so much more about uh, theological breakdowns as more as it is to share my story. So feel free to please check anything that I say and go look it up, research it like the Bereans, as they say in the book of Acts. But I'm just telling you about my, my journey as I struggled to find out my dream because now I'm, I've dreamt about music, 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 music. And everywhere I go, I'm blocked with music uh, blockages because the, sound, the sounds that I'm hearing in my head is not what everybody wants. And it's not so much that I wanted to reach a platform to be a star. 
It's not so much about me wanting to get to a place where I'm known. I just wanted to be free, that whatever came into my heart, whatever inspired me, I wanted to come to come out of my hands. I wanted to do just that. And that brings me to a, a, another point outside of dreams is that in James chapter one, it says a double minded man is unstable in all of his ways and he will receive nothing from God. And I found myself getting these downloads of music, but producing someone else's agenda. And that is a double mind that I'm having to think on things what everybody else wanted, even though I had to shut down things that I believe God was giving me to do. And I had to figure those things out. But I'm a teenager. I don't understand. Things are not making any sense. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. I'm angry. Dad's gone. The church doesn't want my sound. Now I'm enraged. And let me tell you about the rage is that from 1985 until 1995, because of that bitterness, because of that confusion, because of that hurt of rejection, because of that disappointment, because of that feeling of living someone else's dream, because of that feeling of not doing what we believe we were put here to do. My brain, my imagination shut down. I heard nothing. I could think of anything. I couldn't think of anything else that I could do in the world except rely on my grades. And I ended up going to college, getting a degree in finance and um, graduating with a finance degree. I actually was able to finance college with my ability to run track. We'll get into those stories another time about my track background as, as a quarter miler. But I ended up getting a degree in finance. Hated it. Became a banker. And I was in, in commercial lending, had a assistant, assistant manager of a very large portfolio, well over 200 million. And I was responsible for doing the underwriting and analysis for large corporations in order to, deter, uh, to determine if they were credit worthy for loans. Hated every day of my job. Hated every single day of it. I hated it so much that I got married at a young age, 93, uh, 1993, got married to a very good friend. And we were friends in college, but both of us were not living our designs. And that showed up, that hollowness, that emptiness, that rage, that bitterness showed up in, my, in our marriage. And that marriage only lasted five years. Now, some folks would say, well, wait a minute. She was your friend. You're, you're a Christian. You grew up in church. You know what to do. And it's amazing that the rules and the regulations don't make relationships. It's the realness of you being authentic to who you are that makes relationships. Otherwise, you're holding on to relationships by rule. And rage, rebellion, and all these things are building up at the same time because your identity and your reality do not match. My struggle, and it's still in the early 90s, and it wasn't until 1995 where I said, I cannot continue to live like this. I was divorced by 1998, but 1995, I had to make a decision that I had to change this path. I cannot continue to live my life with this inner rage because now the challenge with this rage, it was like a volcano 
waiting to erupt because I was raised very conservative and I knew how to respect people. I knew how not to talk back. So I internalized and held on and repressed a lot of these feelings, did not share them, did not talk about them, did not really have an outlet of expression. I'm not able to play the music that I'm designed to play and I'm not able to follow the path that I believe I was designed to follow. So all of these things are just internal and they would come out and just fits of rage and, and just, just really just more of a scream and just a loss of relationships, nothing really physical, just angst, anxieties, and just, just not walking a path of peace. And I had to change that in 1995. 1995, I got to a place where my father and I got a chance to sit down and go fishing and just hash it out, talk it out, and just say, you know what, Dad, what, what, what happened? And we shared our stories. He told me his. I learned a lot about his background, very similar to mine. And I think that's where we got a little bit of a connection, just understanding that he had disappointments that were never really addressed. And then he turned around with his damages and reproduced that in me because he didn't recognize or, or reconcile things in him. And so we had to kind of talk that through and we didn't really address and resolve as much as we at least, uh, if you will, acknowledged and put some things on the table and move forward in some sort of area of our semblance of of peace. And that at that point, 1995, when I truly forgave my father is when music began to play in my head. And that music that began to play in my head is when I discovered that some of the sounds that I was hearing was jazz because we didn't listen to anything outside of music that was played at church. But once I heard jazz and I heard the harmonies, the chords, the rhythms of jazz is when I began to say, that's what I'm hearing. I never knew what that was. So anybody that would say, hey, you, you play a little bit of jazz. What's your background? Miles Davis, John Coltrane, uh, Herbie Hancock. I was like, I have no idea who any of those people are because I grew up on James Cleveland, Andre Crouch, uh, Walter Hawkins, commissioned, who are also amazing musicians. But again, all of the stuff they did didn't, did not necessarily match everything that was going on in my head, although they were ahead of their time when I heard them. But once I heard jazz, I began to try to experiment with it because at that point, I studied classical music with my mother from uh, 1976 to 1988. So from 1988 uh, uh, until 95, I'm just exploring on my own without any direction but I'm trying to figure and put things out, put it together, make sense of all this stuff in 95. And there I began my journey of exploration, but things didn't really start coming together until about 90, uh, 2000. At that point, I had already walked away from the bank and said, that's not what I wanted to do. And I became a full-time worship pastor for a church in the Texas area, North Texas area. And I started doing that. And I began to really start pressing into the backdrop of what we're talking about, identity. Who am I? Why am I on this earth? What has God put me here to do? What is God saying? 
And what is my path? How do I fit? And as I began to study that, I began to explore my sound and, and things like that. And I, I would, had an opportunity to play for a national recording artist as she was singing her song. I sat down on the organ, you know, she was singing the tracks. So, you know, how we do, we musicians get up on the organ or the piano and say, hey, we'll just kind of accompany her uh, after her tracks run out. And I did that. Well, major problem. I've already made the commitment to get on this organ. And she's singing an old, uh, old familiar hymn. Said, know the hymn, we should be good. One problem. This lady is singing in the key of D. Now, if anybody knows anything about black gospel and anything about black musicians, especially growing up in the 70s, we did not play in guitar keys like the key of D, the key of G, the key of A, the key of E, and the key of B. To me, those were just 100% ungodly, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, who plays in those keys? I play in D flat, E flat, G flat, A flat, B flat, C, F, maybe G. After that, uh, no, nah, not happening. Well, she's singing in D, and I had already committed to sit on the organ, and I'm sitting there getting ready to play my heart out, and now I'm like, oh, great. She's in D, and I've already committed to sit here. So I started trying to struggle through the key of D because I've never really played in it. I understood theoretically because of the classical studies what to do, but my hands have not practiced it enough. And oh, did I sound a hot mess. So the artist turns around and gives me the colossal fist of death, meaning like, yo, stop, just stop. So I'm sitting on the stage. It's an outdoor concert. I'm embarrassed. And I'm like, okay, do I just sit here and practice on the organ really low and redeem myself at the next opportunity? And I came back in with a thunder. I am ready to play. And her manager runs on stage. Get off the stage. At that time, I had to walk the plank of shame and get off that stage, walk across the football field into the stands, and I went straight to the car. That was probably the longest walk I've ever had in my entire life. At least it felt that way. And that's when I realized that my imagination had a lot of great information in it. And my mind has studied things that did not match my imagination. Therefore, my body did not practice the things in my imagination. And back to the text where it says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He will get nothing from God. I'm beginning to see at that age that my spirit and my intellect and my body must align. And for the first time, I realized that no matter how good and how vivid I can be in either one of those areas, if they don't align and actually have a path of productivity, what I produce with my hands will not be as effective and executable and productive as what I'm hearing in my head. So at that point, I started writing a curriculum calling move, called Moving Melodies from Heart to Hands, understanding the language, the universal grammatical language 
behind composition and music, understanding how to get things out of your head. And again, this is not so much about trying to tell you how to do it as much as it is trying to tell you the path of connecting your hands, the work of your hands to your imagination, the work of your hands to your dreams, the work of your hands to your vision. That is something that I had to start thinking through putting together. And I spent that time from the year 2000 into the present, just writing and really exploring how to connect imagination to our hands. Because the challenge with the education system, we all need it. We have to have it. Information is good. The challenge is, is that it starts at intellect and it works its way to the hands. So no matter what, if you come out on the other side of that system and do extremely well, but it never connects to your imagination, you can find that discrepancy, that deviation from who you think you should be to what you've been trained to do. And that's who I was. A relatively straight A student made one B in my uh, all of my years of school, one B. And there's so many things I learned, great information, but very few, uh, if you will, curricular uh Curriculum items or topics matched my imagination. And there again lied or was that inner struggle that we've been talking about. So I had to really work through that, figure that out and make that connection. And that's been my passion. Ultimately, the point of even podcasting is just saying that if money were no object, the things that we've heard in books like Strengths Finders by Tom Rath, Uh, understanding your talent strengths and understanding that if money were no object, that if you did not have to have a job because of money, what would you do with your day? What would you, how would you spend your time? Where do your passions lie? Because that book talked about understanding fulfillment, which is doing what you love, doing what you're great at and doing what someone is willing to pay for. Uh, because if we do what we love and do what we're great at and someone's not willing to pay for it, that's a hobby and we can't make a living on a hobby. If, however, you are doing what you are good at and what someone's willing to pay for, then you'll be like me, basically frustrated because I can make the money. I am good at it, but I don't love it. And I had to figure out how to get all of those three together. As Ecclesiastes would say that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, meaning that if I can intertwine my passion, if I can intertwine my ability to do something well and also intertwine into that profits. So if I can actually do passion, productivity and profits, oh my goodness, that is actually the three legs of fulfillment that I had to figure out how to do. So thank you so much for listening. And I wanted to leave you with these thoughts. I am a biology nerd. uh, If you want to know a little bit more about me, but there are some things that I had to do in order to kind of bring this thing home and make some sense of it. And the word is gene. And when I think of the biological word gene, ultimately what it means is identity. Who are you? So as I want to work through or work out fulfillment and work out life purpose, these six points come to mind. Gene, one, understand who you are. Genuine, two, be authentic to who you are. 
Three, genius. Be extremely good about who you are, knowing who you are. Once you know who you are and you're authentic, then you start developing the skills around your identity and become genius. Then generous is when you exceed someone else's expectation. So know who you are, be authentic, be great, exceed others' expectation, then generate. That's when you're able to attract a resource because you have exceeded someone else's expectation. And finally, regenerate, mentor someone else and show them how to do the same thing. Okay, so Gene, who are you? Know who you are. Genuine, be authentic to that. Genius, be great at that. Generous, exceed others' expectations. Generate, be able to attract the resources or from others because you exceed their expectation. Regenerate, show someone else how to do it. Again, thank you so much for listening. There will be more on the way, but if you have questions, feel free to send me an email at joelbmccray at gmail.com or you can actually just send me a message on my website at joelmccray.com. Again, thank you for listening. We'll be back. Send me those questions. We have a long way to go because we want to maximize our potential for God's glory. God bless you.